I'm not on an ego trip. I'm nothing on my own. I make mistakes and often slip. Just common flesh and bone. But I'll prove someday just what I say. I'm of a special kind. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. The look of love was on his face, thorns were on his head, the blood was on Oh!
Thank you, Vance. Thank you, Rhonda. That was absolutely beautiful. I'm so unworthy of such mercy. Yet when I, he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Amen. Well, we want to release our little kiddos, our second grade and below. You can go to Children's Church now. Miss Melanie Calhoun will be taking you. She'll meet you right back there at that back corner. Second grade and below, you are welcome to go and enjoy a great time in Children's Church. Thank you, Miss Calhoun, for taking our kiddos this morning. And uh, they enjoyed a great time last Saturday. Uh, they had an Easter egg hunt and a, a passion experience out at Gloria Russell's Victory Camp. And we have done that uh, three years in a row, I think. And, and uh, our church has provided the majority of the Easter eggs, I think. And uh, the kids always have a great time. They not only go out there for the Easter experience and the Easter eggs, but they go out there to do some fishing. And they enjoy doing a little fishing out at Mrs. Russell's Pond. Well, if you have your Bible or something, open it up to your Bible, an iPod or some sort of app, open it up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, while you're finding your place. You know, one of the strangest things or maybe interesting things to me is symbols. How certain symbols come to represent certain things. For instance, when you see this first symbol up on the screen, what do you think of? Christmas, right? Yeah, that's a candy cane. And there's all kinds of stories, and I don't know if they're legends or myths or whatever, but some of them say that it was put in that shape to represent J, the first letter of Jesus' name. Uh, some say that it's actually supposed to represent a shepherd's hook because Jesus was the great shepherd, and the red and white stripes represent the blood and the purity of Jesus. There's conflicting reports of when this started and, and if that's even what this means or not. But it's just an interesting symbol. When you see that, generally you think of Christmas. How about this next one? What do you think of when you see that next one? A barbershop, right? Yeah, it's a barbershop pole. And uh, what's really interesting about that symbol is why does it have a red, white, and blue stripes? Well, many, many, many years ago, barbers were also allowed to practice surgical procedures. And the colored stripes represented which surgical procedures they could practice. And what's really interesting is the red stripe, it represents bloodletting. Because back in those days, they would put leeches, sorry to gross you out, they'd put leeches on you to let a little blood out, because they thought if they let a little blood out, it would cure you of whatever illness you had. Aren't you glad for the medical advances that we have nowadays, right? Amen. How about these next two? They're kind of one and the same. What do you think of when you, think of the, when you see those symbols? Doctors, right? Those are medical symbols. Uh, the one on the uh, right is the American Medical Association symbol. The one on the left, you'll see that on ambulances a, a lot. They're kind of the same, but they're kind of different. You'll notice one has one snake and just a pole. The other one has two snakes, a pole, and this ornate emblem across the top. There's a lot of uh, mixed uh, stories out there of what these mean, but actually what these are is these are symbols of mythical ancient gods or ancient mythical gods. I can't remember the one on the left what it uh, was the god of, but the one on the right is the symbol of Hermes, the, the god of healing. Interesting, right? So the next time you're sitting in your doctor's office and he's giving you his prognosis and you notice that little symbol, the one on the right, on his lapel, you might ask him, so I see you're a worshiper of the mythical god Hermes. Did he tell you what my problem is? Just interesting, right? But of all these interesting symbols, I think this one, next one is the most interesting to me at all, of all. Somehow, 
This has come to represent Easter. A bunny with some eggs. Somehow that has come to represent the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't understand exactly how that came. To be clear, I want to make sure you know this, nowhere in the Bible where you read that a furry rabbit brings Easter eggs to all the good boys and girls around the world on Easter Sunday. That's just, that's not in the Bible. And again, with most of these symbols, there's a little bit of mixed history of, of what they are based on. Both the tradition of the bunny and the egg have their origins linked to ancient pagan traditions of life and fertility. And uh, again, not real sure how they came to originate. There's a lot of mixed stories of how they came to represent Easter. But as you know, with the case with most traditions, once they are established, you're not going to stop it. Now, I can eat my weight in chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs, and I can't wait to have me a little angelic, we don't call them deviled eggs at our house, angelic eggs a little bit later on uh, this afternoon. But I can't tell you how these came to represent Easter. I can't answer those kinds of questions. But I can answer two questions for you this morning. The first question is this, why do we celebrate the death of Christ on a cross? The second question is like it, it is why do we celebrate an empty tomb on this day? These are the two questions I do and want, do want to answer for you and I am able to answer. And the, the first question, why do we celebrate the death of Christ on the cross? We're going to find that in Romans uh, chapter 3. And I should have followed my advice and found that for myself in there before uh, I got started. Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through uh, 25. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Father, we want to thank You for Your Word. We want to thank You for the opportunity to spend a little time in it this morning and to focus on this truth, that You died on a cross, You were buried in a tomb, and on the third day You rose again. Father, I pray that through your word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit, you would change every single one of us from the inside out, that none of us would walk out of here the same way we walked in. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen. Why do we celebrate the death of Christ on a cross? It's a good question. It might seem strange and morbid. Part of the reason perhaps we celebrate an Easter bunny and Easter eggs may be because we don't like the idea of talking about a crucified man on a cross on Easter Sunday. It's morbid. It's kind of gross. But it's important that we know and believe in the work of Christ crucified. And if I could sum up the reason we celebrate the death of Christ on the cross in one word, it would be this word, sin. Oh, we don't like that word either. Maybe that's another reason we like to think about bunny rabbits and Easter eggs on Easter Sunday. Sin. What Romans 3.23 just told us is that everyone does it. 
Everyone sins and falls short of the glory of the God. That's what the Bible teaches over and over. And the Bible not only says that we are all sinners, but the Bible says that because of our sin, we are naturally separated from God because of our sin. And not only are we separated, but that we are spiritually dead. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of our sin is death. And this is spoken about in other places in the Bible, not just in the book of Romans. And it's not just the idea that we are spiritually dead. Sometimes the Bible will say that because of our sin, we are unclean, we are unholy, we are unrighteous. All in all, the emphasis of the Bible is that we have a problem we are born into. And that problem is called sin. And the emphasis of the Bible is that we are not only born into this, but we are natural at it. I don't know about you, no one gave me a class on sin. Nowhere in high school did we go to a class called Sinning 101. Every human is naturally able to sin, willing to sin, and unable to not sin. And knowing this, I love that song, even though he knows me, yet he loves me. That's what Vance and Rhonda just sang, yet even though he knows me. Knowing this about me, God set a plan in motion before the foundations of the world. God set a plan in motion where he would send God the Son, Jesus Christ, to live on this earth, to live life on this earth, and living this life, Jesus lived it perfectly. The Bible says that he faced every temptation that we face, yet did so without sin. And because he lived this life without sin, he qualified to be a pure and blameless sacrifice for God. Because of our sin, we lack righteousness, but because of his perfection, he was the perfect picture of righteousness. And on that Christ, on that cross, Christ, God placed the guilt of humanity's sin on Jesus Christ. So as the Son of God died and his blood was shed, he carried with him the punishment that we deserved for our sin. In the scripture we read in Romans chapter 3, there are three important words I want to just briefly touch on. Those words are righteousness, propitiation, and faith. Righteousness. It's the condition of just being right. But it's not like I'm always right and you're always wrong, that kind of right. Righteousness is the idea that you are perfectly pure, that you are without sin. In short, it has to do with total and complete lack of sin. God's standard of righteousness is complete, without one error, without one uh, action of sin. And if anyone could go without sinning, they could enjoy a pure relationship with God. The law of God requires complete and total perfection. The law of God requires a righteous standard be kept. This is the glory of God. But no one is able. Why? Because we naturally are born with this ability to sin. And we are unable to not sin. And so then came Christ. And he was able to satisfy the righteous requirement of the law. He was able to live perfectly and without sin. And in so doing, Christ was set as the payment, the propitiation for our sins. That's the second word. That's a word we don't normally use. And I'm not trying to impress you with big fancy words this morning. It's just, it's in the Bible. And it's an important word that we understand. Propitiation. It means that Christ was the appropriate means by which God was appeased for the guilt of our sins. The Bible says that sins cannot be removed. They cannot be atoned without the shedding of blood. And Christ 
has acted as the one-time payment for all of our sin. Propitiation means that Jesus Christ was the one-time satisfactory payment for the redemption of mankind. This is why it was said of Jesus that he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why Isaiah chapter 53, we read this phrase, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. That's what it means for Him to be the propitiation. He took the punishment you and I could never pay. The payment we could never pay, He made payment of. And then finally, faith. Faith in Christ is the condition God sets on our being saved. Faith in Christ is the condition God sets on our being saved. His righteousness is applied to us. His propitiation is applied to us when we accept Him in faith. And faith is not the same thing as knowledge. Faith is not the same thing as belief in existence. You see, I believe in bunny rabbits, but I have no faith they're going to bring me any chocolate eggs or Easter eggs or anything like that. Here's what I'm saying faith is. All of you are seated in a pew this morning. That's faith. Faith is action. Faith is not knowledge. Faith is not verbal. Faith is action. You see, when you walked in here, you saw the pews and you believed in their existence. But in sitting in that pew, you now have practiced a faith in that pew. Not a saving faith, a seating faith in that pew. A saving faith in Jesus Christ not only says, I know you exist, I believe you exist, but I will trust in your saving ability for my lostness and my sinfulness. We must have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate the cross because of a great transfer that occurred at the cross. At the cross, the penalty for our sin was transferred on to Jesus Christ. And the righteousness of Christ is then transferred on to us. And the basis for this great transfer is saving faith. Faith is the basis for this transfer. But then we have this second important question. Why do we celebrate an empty tomb? And for that, I want you to flip over to Romans chapter 6. Just a couple of pages to Romans chapter 6. We're going to read verses 5 through 11. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Glad to hear those pages turning. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I could sum up, the answer to this question, why do we celebrate the empty tomb into one word, it would be this word, life. 
We celebrate the crucifixion because of sin, my sin. And we celebrate the, the resurrection, the empty tomb because of life, his life in us. The tomb is empty because on the third day, Christ rose from the dead. By the power of God, that stone was rolled away. But it wasn't rolled away so that he could get out of the tomb. It was rolled away so that passerbys could come and see there is nobody there. And it wasn't just that he rose from the grave and then he was never seen again. That's not what the Bible tells us at all. The Bible tells us that for 40 days, Jesus walked this earth and he interacted with people. He taught them. He ate with them. You can see all kinds of experiences that Jesus had after he came out of that grave on the third day. For instance, you can read about two disciples that were walking down the road to Emmaus and he started walking with them and he had a long walk with them from one town to another. And when he got to that town, he sat down with them and taught them and then he ate with them. And then they realized, hey, this is, this is the guy that was just crucified. And then he was gone. Then there were the ladies who went out to Jesus' tomb. And they, they, when they got out there, they saw that the tomb was empty. And they're, they're freaking out, right? I mean, where's, where's the dead guy? And then he shows up and he has a conversation with them. And he asks them to go back into the villages and tell what they've seen. Or how about the disciples in the upper room? They're freaked out. They're scared. The doors are locked. And then just comes in Jesus. And he sits down with them and has a conversation with them, eats with them. And he's like, dude, check out the holes in my hand. And has them sticking his, their fingers in his holes, right? The holes in his hands and the holes in his side. The disciples out at the Sea of Galilee, they're on a fishing trip and they're not catching anything. And Jesus gives them some fishing tips. Then he fixes them a fire and they has a little fish fry going while they're coming in from the sea. And he eats with them and teaches them some more. The Bible tells us that 500 people at one time saw him after his resurrection. 500. That's almost the population of Colmenil. And the Bible tells us that many saw him ascend into heaven. Many. We don't know how many that is. It may have been the 500. So it's not like Jesus, the, the tomb was empty and nobody ever saw him for 40 days. 40 days. Think about that. Does anybody here know what they're going to be doing 40 days from now? No, because that's over a month. Can you remember what you were doing 40 days ago? Probably not. But that's how long he spent on this planet after he rose again. Why is this so important? In this scripture we just read, what we get is a glimpse of this idea that our life, our spiritual life, is sewn up in his life. Let me sum it up like this. If we have died as Christ, then we will have life because Christ lives. Now, it's talking about physical life. It's talking about spiritual life. My eternal life hinges on that empty tomb and the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Now, this does not mean that we have to be nailed to the cross like Jesus was nailed. But to die as Christ dies means that we give up on our own will surrender ourselves over to God's will, that what God does is he moves the writer of Romans to use words like united or likeness or crucified with him to help us understand that through faith in Jesus Christ, God makes us to be like Christ. Our old self is crucified and it is put to death when we believe in Jesus Christ in faith and our old self, that old sin-ridden, death-filled body is put away and we are given a new life, no longer separated from God because of our sin, but we are united with him because of his payment of sin and his resurrection from the dead. 
When we submit to Jesus in faith as Savior and Lord, it is as if we have been crucified right alongside of him. But, as the old preachers like to say, it might be Friday, but Sunday's on the way. When we are united with Christ, it is as if we've been crucified with him, but then we are raised to walk in newness of life. Here's what this scripture says. Let me just sum up these, these verses we just read. I need about another hour. Uh, April Fool's, by the way. No. If we are united with Christ, here's what the scripture says. Verse 5, his victory over death is our victory over death. We don't operate from a, a basis of working towards some sort of victory in our life. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we operate out of an already attained victory that he conquered death in his working on the cross and then his working of coming out of that tomb. If we are united with Christ, verse 6, his crucifixion of sin is our crucifixion of sin. When I am united with Christ in faith, I no longer am compelled into sin. I no longer am a slave to sin, but instead I am freed from sin. Verse 7 is what he says. Verse 7, we have freedom from sin. His crucifixion of sin is our crucifixion of sin, and it is a guarantee of our freedom from sin. Verse 8, his resurrected life becomes our new life. Verse 9, his resurrection from death shows God's power and authority over death. Verse 10, as his life was for God's glory, our lives are for God's glory. And verse 11, his resurrection from literal death is our resurrection from spiritual death. I went through that really quickly for the sake of time because that ham, you know, that ham, the no. Listen, it, it basically is saying the same thing over and over. What Christ secured in his resurrection from the grave is a victory over death. And when we are united with him in faith, we are given that same exact victory. I didn't do anything for it. You didn't do anything for it. Do you see the, the wonderful gift we are given in this resurrection if we have faith? And so now what? So now what do we do with all this? Well, I was talking about weird symbols, right? Bunny rabbits and barbershop poles are weird symbols. They have varying stories and past to them. We're not quite sure how they're linked, but here's some weird symbols too. You're probably familiar with these symbols. Both of them. Both of them. Thank you. The cross and the empty tomb. And if you don't know what these symbols represent, you would think they are strange. They are strange. I ain't no qualms about it. I'm a strange guy. I'm a weirdo, and that's okay. You, you might think that those of us who find hope in a cross in an empty tomb, you might think we're kind of weird, or that we're out of our mind. But these are not just vain symbols that carry us into hope for tomorrow. These are symbols that remind us of a price that was voluntarily paid for us. It reminds us of a power that is able to reside in us. The cross and the empty tomb remind us of the love of a God who sent his son to pay a price he did not owe for those he loved, you and me. And how he goes to great lengths to save us from an eternity in hell and rescue us, redeem us into an eternity in heaven. The cross reminds us of the penalty paid so our sins could be completely forgiven. The empty tomb reminds us that his life is a guarantee that we will have everlasting life if we have faith in him. Now, I wanted to come back to this word faith for just a little bit longer. 
And that faith is more than an understanding of God or even a belief in existence. Like I said, faith has to do with action. Faith has to do with putting your trust in something. Many of you believed in the, 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 the existence of the pews. Perhaps you were on the way here this morning and you thought, they're probably going to have pews that I can sit in. I won't have to stand the entire time. But your faith in these pews was exercised when you sat down in them. But perhaps there's still some of you that you're not able to put faith in Christ. Perhaps there's still some of you that says, I, I don't know if I can exercise faith in this, this story. Because I don't understand. I, there's things I just can't explain. Why, why did God send his son to die? I just don't understand that. Why, why, why if God is so forgiving, was he not just able to forgive us our sins and have to go through this whole crucifixion and years of prophecy and all that? I just don't understand. I don't, I don't get that. And so because of that, I can't believe. But I want to tell you, understanding has nothing to do with the ability to believe. Because as you sat in those pews, I didn't see a single one of you get down on your knees and look underneath that pew to make sure that it was screwed in properly. As far as I know, none of you called the makers of these pews and, and asked them what the warranty was on them, what the weight uh, capability was, them, was of them, right? Uh, nobody here uh, put their knee into it and made sure they were going to hold up. They just sat down in it. Maybe you're tired of the pew illustration. Let me put it another way for you. Almost every day, people get into these long metal tubes, and they go hurling down a runway. And as they're hurling down the runway at hundreds of miles an hour, they are lifted into the air, and they're soaring through the air for a few hours. And then they come down out of that air, and they land on three rubber tires. And I would say the majority of you that have ever flown on an airplane did not know the pilot that was flying that airplane. You didn't know anything about that pilot. You didn't know anything about his ability to fly. You didn't even know what condition he was in. Nor did you know the condition the airplane was in, yet you put your faith in that airplane to get you from point A. You put your very life in that airplane. Maybe you've never flown in an airplane. How about a big metal tub? Some of you have gotten on a big metal tub and gone floating across the ocean, right? Gone from, you know, from Galveston over to uh, Mexico on a little fun. And you don't know anything about that big metal tub. You don't know about its engines. You don't know about its ability to float in the water. You don't know anything about the captain of that big metal tub. But you put your faith when you walked onto that boat, not only in the boat, but in the captain and its ability to get you from point A to point B and back safely and soundly. You put your life in the hands of that captain. Or maybe you've never gone on a cruise. I've never gone on a cruise. But I bet most of you are going to get in a vehicle this afternoon. And you're going to drive down the highway at 75 miles an hour, however fast you go, right? And you probably don't know a lot about the person who assembled your vehicle. Much less do you know about the other person heading in the opposite direction of you. You're going to pass by at 75 miles an hour, maybe one or two feet away from them. And you're completely trusting the fact they won't swerve across that line. You've put your faith, your very life, in the hands of that automobile and in the in the very hands of the person that's coming at you at the same speed. See, my point is, I, I don't want to exhaust this, is we put our faith in things that we don't understand every single day. We put our very lives into things that we don't have complete knowledge about every single day. And so understanding and having a knowledge about everything that God is about and what God was doing at that moment on the cross and what God was doing when he took Christ out of the tomb, it's just a stumbling block. You're allowing things like that to be a stumbling block to you having a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 
God went to great lengths so that you could spend eternity in heaven and not eternity in hell. He went to great lengths to pay the price for your sin and my sin. This isn't a judgment call on anybody here. It's, it's We all had to receive this by faith. And let me tell you, I've been a believer for 30 some odd years and there are still things I don't completely understand and that's okay because my faith does not hinge on complete understanding. My faith hinges on the fact of what Christ did on the cross and what he did when he came out of that tomb. He secured forgiveness for my sin and he secured eternal life in what he did. What are you waiting on to put your life in the hands of a God who loves you that much? What, what are you putting it off for? Some sort of understanding? Some sort of hurt? Some sort of answer that you're waiting on? Because we're not guaranteed another moment on this earth. Somebody could swerve over that line today as you're driving home. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just stating facts. It happens every single day. Somebody could swerve over that line and end your life. Could you say that you have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and redeemed by Jesus Christ for sure? We're going to have a time of invitation this morning, a time of response. Our musicians are going to come forward and play uh, some music. We're going to sing. And during that time, we pray that you would respond however God is leading you to respond. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what we celebrate today. That my life is not in me or on me. My life is completely and totally on you. It hinges on you. And I'm so thankful for the promise of eternal life. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what you have done. Lord, today is Easter, but it's also April Fool's. And the, the thing that always comes to my mind, Lord, every April 1st is this. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. God, I, I don't know how else to plead with people. And so I, I leave it in your hands because you are so much more capable than I am. Father, I pray that we would feel compelled to respond to you in faith this morning. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus.